right. I love you guys. Good morning to you. I've had like three cups of coffee, so I may run laps around here. Um, okay, so there's a, there's, I want to talk to you about um, an initiative that we're doing as a church called 28 Days of Prayer. Pull up that awesome graphic. Ooh, it's kind of washed out. You can't see it. We're going to be kicking this off March 1st. That's two weeks from today. How many of you guys have done any kind of extended prayer or fasting seasoned in your life? Okay. All right. And um, how many of you have like just are, well, I won't ask that question because I, I would raise my hand too if, if the thought of fasting is just not appealing to you. That's me right here. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't like to, I don't like to go without things. Um, God has, been, God has been deeply, the Spirit has been speaking to me deeply about this for about the last year, um, about the role that prayer and fasting is going to have in our church, and He has given us the green light to move into this season um, beginning in March 1st, and it's exactly what it says. It's going to be 28 days of prayer and fasting for our church body. We're going to kick that off on Sunday, March 1st, um, and we're going to kind of have uh, this this you know, special kind of gathering on, on, on Sunday morning. I want to give you some instructions about prayer and fasting, do some teaching from the Word about that, and then we're going to move into a series called The Door, Three Doors That Fasting Is Going to Unlock and Prayer and Fasting Are Going to Unlock. And we'll be looking at those for the next, uh, with a sort of a testimony, celebration kind of service in here. Um, we're going to give you some resources to help you. Fasting is a lot easier and praying is a lot easier when you're doing it in community. Amen. It's awfully hard and lonely if you're the only one, you know, like all of your friends are, hey, let's go out to lunch, or hey, let's do this, or, you know, your spouse is in there cooking up an awesome meal, and you're just thinking, why have you come to torment me? <laughs> it's a lot easier when we're doing this together, um, and there's a lot of different ways to fast, so don't stress about it. It looks different for different people. It's okay. Uh, there's a way that you, can, that you can be involved in this. I believe that this is going to unlock and bring some breakthrough in some powerful areas for you, for your family, and for our church family. I'm believing it. I, be I believe the Lord, the Spirit of God is, is calling many, many other um, churches and um, prayer houses and other groups around the world to begin fasting in 2020. Um, some have been starting at the new year. Others are starting. If there's a 40-day fast um, that's starting on March 1st. Uh, with, with, with Lou Ingalls group. Um, so we're, we're just going to take our place. We want to we push into this too. And I'm excited about it. I've been, I've been dreaming about this for a long time and kind of getting, you know, a little bit nervous too, just thinking the Lord's already been telling me what I'm supposed to fast from. Um, and, and I'm not looking forward to it, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it's going to be good. We're going to give you a few more instructions uh, on, that, on that Sunday, March 1st. So, Begin to think and pray and prepare yourself for that, because it's going to be awesome. All right, you have your Bibles? Nobody has their Bibles. I have a, I have a new, I'm so excited, I have a new Bible to use today. Oh, and it smells, it smells so good, but I also brought my old faithful one because I felt bad. It's sitting all lonely over there, and I didn't want it to feel rejected, you know, because like, this thing is like so, it's falling apart, and not because I overuse it. I'm not that spiritual. It's just flaking off here. But it does have all of my notes inside, like little underlines. And it's so... Anybody ever stressed about changing Bibles? Because like, how do I get all my stuff from here over to here? You know, and like, I kind of have to go and copy everything over. So um, anyway, I'm going to keep this up here just as a security blanket. I'm like Linus. This is my security blanket. I want to use the old faithful right here. We're going to be in the book of Zechariah this morning. I've been... 
Um, this was a message I wanted to give last week, but it kind of didn't happen. It, the Spirit broke out, um, and I'm excited. I've been praying on this again. I've actually not been able to preach in, in a number of weeks because of different things. I think we had Vision Sunday one week, and something else happened and got in the way. Um, it's okay. I don't mind. Things happen. I want to talk to you today about vision. Um, this is not a repeat of Vision Sunday. I want to go a little bit of a different direction. Um, but if you were here several weeks ago on February 5th, February 2nd rather, you, we, you were part of Vision Sunday where we sort of cast and presented a vision of what we sense God wanted to do with our church, with King's Church. Where are we going? You know, we, we reflected on the past Um, celebrated some of the things that God's done in the last year, and we cast a new vision for what does 2020 look like? And I can tell you, it's hard to even begin to think about that, because I feel like every time we write something down, God says, I'm about to do something bigger than that. So even even, even as as the 2020 unfolds, he's just, he's, he's increasing, he's expanding that vision in my mind. And I think it's not just a King's Church thing, I think it's a, it's a regional, it's a regional, um, rumblings that are starting to happen. I've been having a lot of sort of conversations with other area leaders and just sensing God is going to do something this year in our area. And I know I'm saying that. I'm, I'm putting my, I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not a gambling man, but I'm going to gamble on that. I'm going to say it and we're going to record this. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I believe that God has revival for our community, for our, for the bluegrass um, beginning here in 2020. But I want to talk to you this morning about your own vision for your own life and your vision for your family and what, what you're seeing that God wants to do for you. So I want to look at um, a, a story in Zechariah chapter 2. You got it? You got your Bibles there? Zechariah is one of the smaller prophets. Um, it's on page 1318, by the way, in case you want to know. Go ahead and turn there. I got the right, if you got the right Bible. Uh, Zechariah is the name of a prophet. He lived um, several centuries BC. He was sort of a, he was a part of this of the history of Israel that we call the Babylonian exile. Um, and if you know some of your biblical history, you'll know that after centuries of Israel's unfaithfulness, their idolatry and their wickedness, God brought judgment on them in the form of a foreign invasion by a nation called Babylon. And Babylon comes in and essentially decimates Jerusalem and destroys the temple and takes all of the, the people, all of the men, uh, the, warrior, the, 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 the warrior class, all of these men, and they take them away out of Israel into exile in a foreign country in Babylon. And for 70 years, they are in that season of living in another culture in another time. And one generation passes away and another generation raises up and, and they're beginning to lose their identity. But God, in his love and in his sovereignty, had even promised centuries before this that although judgment is coming, I'm going to restore you one day. I'm going to bring you back to the home that I had for you. Right? He prophesied this through prophets like Isaiah and, and, and Jeremiah. And, and sure enough... The time comes in history where God does begin to restore and return the people. He spoke through this Persian ruler named Cyrus and it began to, to allow the Jews to come back to their homeland and begin to restore the homeland. And we, we did a study on this from the book of Ezra last year, um, I think three-week study on the book of Ezra of how God restores a people um, 
It's, on, it's, it's, it's podcast, by the way. It's a pretty good one. Actually, it was, a, it, was a, it was a pivotal study. We had no idea how prophetic it would be, really, in the life of our church. Um, and Zechariah is one of these prophets that sort of was ministering to the people during this exact time. And these words sort of reflect this, this, this call and this mandate to go back and, and, and return to being a people of God. Rebuild the wall. Rebuild the temple. Rebuild your cultural identity as God's chosen people. And in Zechariah, God gives Zechariah eight unique visions to help encourage him and to help encourage the people. I mean, I want to look at a couple of these. Actually, just one of these. It's in, it's in begins in chapter 2. And this is this, um, ah, the third vision, it looks like, beginning in chapter 2. And I want you to th- begin to think about God's vision for your own life and your vision for your life as we read through this. I think it's on the screen behind me. Here we go. Then I looked up and there was before me a man with a measuring line in his hand. Y'all say measuring line. I remember when I was a kid, I want to pause here. I interrupt myself. When I was a kid, my dad often did construction work and carpentry work, and he always had like these awesome tools. And one of them was, of course, the measuring tape, you know. I used to love to get his measuring tape, and you know, like, it's like that one that's spring-loaded, and I would like hook it on the end of something and like go back here, and I would measure how long things were, right? You know, and I remember like I was measuring a two-by-four and how disappointed I was that a two-by-four wasn't really two-by-four. It blew my mind. I felt like, you know... My life was a lie, and I had to ask my dad about it, you know. <laughs> There's a man with a measuring line in his hand. I, this is Zechariah, I asked to this man, we, we can infer that he's an angel of some kind or something, some supernatural being, I asked him, where are you going? He answered me to measure Jerusalem to find out how wide and how long it is. Tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it, and I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord. And I will be its glory within. Verse 6. Come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Verse 7. Come, Zion, escape, you who live in daughter Babylon. For this is what the Lord Almighty says. After the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you. For whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. Verse 10, shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. All right, let me pray for us, and we're going to get into this. So, Father, we ask, for, um, we ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord. We want to understand what you're saying to your church. We want to understand what your word means and how to apply it to our lives. So, we just open our hearts and our minds to you to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's this man with a measuring line in his hand. And he has a mission. And his mission is to go and measure a city that honestly doesn't exist anymore. 
Jerusalem has been destroyed. It's been decimated. It's been that way for 70 years. So it's interesting that this man has this sort of measuring tape in his hand and he's going to measure something that doesn't exist anymore. I began to think this through. I began to ask the Lord, what does that mean? You know? I feel like the Lord sort of begins to say, this is sort of this is how often the human mind wants to approach. We want to return and measure things as we think they should be. So the man is going with this measuring line in his hand to measure the city of Jerusalem. And the angel says, when the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came and said, run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. So there's two things that I want to say to you. First of all is I want you to get a vision for your own life. I want you to have a measuring line in your hand and be moving forward to begin to measure where you sense God is calling you to rebuild and to establish and to raise up. But the second thing, and this is sort of this a little bit of a paradox, I want you to also realize that your vision is going to be too small for what God wants to do. Because in his word, it says he has a measuring line. He's going to measure. But then the angel says, run and tell him something. Run ahead before he takes that measuring line, before he begins to measure out and mark the corners of where he thinks things should be. You guys with me on this? Stop him before he gets there. Stop him before he puts the tape down and he puts the survey markers in place. Stop him before he begins to dig the foundation for what he thinks in his mind Jerusalem is supposed to look like. I know that he's been there before. I know that he has this idea of what I did in the past. But I want you to stop him before he begins to lay this foundation that is limited by his own vision. All right, y'all, that was good stuff. Come on. Wake up here. Come on. All right? So he says, I want you to run ahead and tell that young man something. And look at what he says to tell him. Run, tell the young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls. Hold on a minute. I thought, I thought we were supposed to build the walls, God. I thought you told us to rebuild. Isn't that the whole point of Ezra? And to a, well, God is pointing to a, a deeper truth about our vision. He says, run ahead. Before you begin to lay a foundation, before you think that your vision is going to be limited to this far by this wide, that the work that I'm about to do is going to be look this way, you need to know that the work that I have in store for you, that the vision I have for you is limitless. And he says this, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of, why will it be without walls? Because of the great number of people and animals in it. I remember the first, when I read that earlier last week, I began to think, that's weird. Why would you tell us that Jerusalem is going to be, have a lot of animals in it? I get the people part. Why the animal part? How many of you have a translation that says livestock? You have livestock in there? I have animals in my livestock is a better translation. You know, you know what livestock means? First of all, animals can mean anything. It can mean like dogs and cats and pet ferrets and all those turtles or whatever else. And you can kind of read this and think, oh, that means that there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of stray dogs running around. No, it's livestock. So why would it be meaningful that Jerusalem is going to be filled with people and filled with livestock? Because keep in mind, Jerusalem is not farm central. There really is largely one purpose that livestock would serve being in Jerusalem. And why would that be? Sacrifice. 
I begin to think about what God is actually saying here. That God is going to restore Jerusalem that will have limitless worship. There will not be walls because of the worshipers, because of the sacrifice of worship being lifted up. It will be a city without walls because of the great number of peoples and animals. And listen to this. I myself will be a wall of what? Fire around it. What do you need for a sacrifice? You need fire to fall. You need three things. You need the one who is offering the sacrifice. That's the people. You need the sacrifice itself. That's the livestock. And you need the fire that consumes it, that comes down and just burns it up and offers it up. And God says, don't allow your vision of what I'm about to do be limited because I'm going to do something that is going to bring limitless worship back to my house. I'm going to have innumerable people, innumerable livestock. And by the way, the walls are not going to be walls of stone. They're going to be walls of fire, walls of my presence. It's awesome what he said. And he keeps on going, and he says this. My page keeps flipping over. Um, (laughs) Declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. He goes on to say, come, come, flee the land of the north. Skip on down to, to, to verse 10. Verse 11, many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. Y'all, this is a picture of revival. Many nations will be joined in that day. But God, I thought, I thought we were your chosen ones. I thought we were the elect. I thought we were, according to Exodus 12, a, a treasured possession, a chosen generation, a holy nation. I thought that was us. But God says, in that day, there's going to be many nations who are going to join in and become my people too. So there's unlimited worship, unlimited presence. Verse 10. I skipped over verse 10, didn't I? Verse 10 says this, I will live among you. So there's unlimited presence. Verse 11, an unlimited influence. I think that's all about influence. All these nations coming together to be in the presence of the Lord. And I'm reading this, and I'm hearing what I'm hearing the Spirit of God saying, look, this is a picture of heaven on earth. I'm about to do something that is not like what I've done in the past. And he's saying, what I hear God saying to me, easily, it's okay to take your measuring line. It's good. It's good. To, because think what, think what that means is that whoever has the measuring line has an intent to do the things of God. This man, whoever he is, has a measuring line in his hand. He wants to see the city of God rebuilt. That's a good thing. And I want you to imagine this. You taking the measuring line saying, God, I want to honor you. I, you know, I want to accomplish what's in your heart to do. I want things to be just so. You know, I want the, the, the lines of your temple to look this way and to be this long. I want to, I'm going to go ahead and measure. I'm going to start rebuilding. I'm not going to wait on somebody else to do it. I've got a measuring. I'm going to go put the stakes in the ground and begin to cut up, to begin to dig in the foundations because I want to see your kingdom established on earth. And God says, good. Somebody needs to take up the measuring line in their hand. But in the very next breath, he says, but wait. You're not going to need it because what I'm about to do can't be measured. So I want to think about what that means for us in King's Church. I I think it means, first of all, that's like we did three weeks ago, two weeks ago, however long. We do need to have a measuring line of where we sense God is saying for us to go. We put some of those things in writing. Put some things up on the screen. This is our mission. This is our threefold vision. Here's a direction that we're going to focus our energy in the days to come. But in the very next thought that comes into my mind is God saying, but be careful that you don't limit what I'm about to do to your own measuring line. 
Because when I bring the kingdom, it cannot be measured. And I think the Bible's full of God's people discovering that. It's, it's, just, it's one encounter with God's limitless nature after another. You know? Think about some of the, the, the men of old, you know, like, like Noah. We don't know a lot about Noah, but we definitely can imagine that whenever God told them to do something, he had no idea that it was going to be this big of a thing. Go to, let's, let's look at Abraham. I want to show you a story in here that kind of highlights this. Genesis 12. I've been listening to this, by the way, on, um, on audio. I'm, I'm doing a Bible, the Bible in a year plan, but instead of reading it, I'm listening to it. You guys ever listen to the word? It's so good, you guys. You know, it's like you can do it when you're driving. It's just the Bible is always meant to be read aloud and meant to be heard. So we, I've been listening to, and I'm like, I'm to the end of Genesis now. And I remember kind of getting into the story and just thinking how amazing this story was of this guy named Abraham and what God did. You know, and in chapter 12, it tells us that he called, God called Abraham um, and basically said, I want you to leave Mesopotamia where you're living, take everything that you own, all of your, you know, your family, you're going to leave your extended family, leave your tribe, leave your clan, your father's household, and you're going to go to a place that I'm going to show you later on. You've never been there before, Abraham, you know, you don't know the directions, but just get the keys, get in the car, get on the freeway. And Abraham does that. And, uh, you know, 12 talks about how he's kind of, you know, trying to follow God's promises, stepping out in faith. It's an incredible picture of faith. And God promised him some things. He promised that he would make him into a great nation. Well, what does that mean? How am I a great nation? I'm a wandering, you know, nomad. I live in tents. I don't have a home. How am I going to be a great nation? I don't even have a son. God? You know, I'm an old man. What does that mean? God says, trust me, I'm going to do it. Trust me, I'm going to do it. Abraham had a vision for what his life would be like. He tried to make that vision happen his own way, and it didn't really work out that well. And God says, no, I'm about to do something bigger than you can imagine. First, uh, chapter 13, though, this is a cool, an amazing story. So Abraham, he's brought some of his, his like, extended family. He brought his nephew Lot, right? You guys have nephews? I've got a couple nephews right? And, and Abraham has this, <laughs> has this nephew named Lot. Let me read a little bit about, uh, a little bit of this story, um, beginning in, in 13 verse 1. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham became very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place, y'all say place to place, and where he had first built an altar. So apparently, in his past, he had built an altar and had pitched a tent here. He left. Now he's going back here. So this dude is like wandering. He's on the go, right? He's like, you know, with every grazing season, he's going somewhere else. Um, there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land, listen to this, but the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. So the families are growing, their wealth is increasing, their livestocks are increasing, their herds are increasing, and they're simply running out of room wherever they are. And the Bible goes on to say that, that, that Lot's um, herdsmen and Abram's herdsmen begin fighting over resources 
you know, fighting over wells and fighting over oases and fighting over grazing lands. Who has the right to this place? Well, no, this is, I was here first and you were supposed to be over here. And it's just kind of a lot of ongoing bickering. And Abram comes to Lot and says, look, you know, it's, let's just own up to this. We're simply too big to stay together. We've got to split up. Let's part company. And Abram says, look, Lot, you go one way, I'll go another. And he says, Lot, you, get to, you choose. Whichever way you go, I'm going to go the other direction. And Lot begins to look around, and he sees some choice territory sort of to the east of the Jordan River in this beautiful plain country, and he's especially drawn to this booming metropolis city called Sodom and this other one called Gomorrah. This is where the action is. This is where the nightlife is. This is where all the cool people are from, right? And, and Lot says, I really want to go there to that plain. It's beautiful. It's, 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 it's just lush green grass. There's water everywhere. There's this really cool city over there that's got all the cool stuff. Abraham, I'm sorry, but I, re I really want the best. And this is the best and I want it. Abraham says, okay, you take that space. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. There's something about pitching your tent in the company of wicked that does not fare well for you. And Lot would have known this and should have known this. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are. Another translation says, lift up your eyes. Brad's translation says, get a vision. So imagine, imagine yourself in this situation. You, the older, you, the elder Abraham, who should have had the first right to the choicest of lands, decided to defer to Lot, your younger nephew. And he, of course, has taken the choices of lands. And you're looking around going, okay, well, there's not much here. There's some hill country, but it's not as nice as what I gave up. And God comes to you and says, lift up your eyes. Get a vision. And if he's me, if I'm him, if I'm Abraham, I'm probably thinking, okay, well, it looks okay. It's not as nice as that. You know, there's a nice pasture over here. I probably could dig a well right here. You know, I can kind of see, you know, a couple miles out here around me. So I guess this will work. But God says, look around from where you are to the north and the south, to the east and to the west. Abraham, look around. Look that way, Abraham. He does. All right, now look to the south. Okay, I see it, God. Now look to the east. Yeah, I see it. That you see, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Verse 17, go, walk the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool if God said that to you and I? Oh, wait, he is. <laughs> he says, Abraham, I want you to walk as far as you can. 
When you get tired, keep on walking because every step you take is more territory that I'm going to give to you. And I just imagine, I just, I think about this, you know, I think about like, you know, what does this mean? And this is the first time that God has really said something this, this incredible to him. Imagine hearing this from God. For, wait a minute, God, did I hear you right? Are you telling me that I could walk as far as that horizon and that's going to be my territory? God says, yes, it is. What about this way? God says, yep, that's going to be yours too. Oh, wait, wait, what about all the way behind me? Yep, that's yours as well. As far as you can walk, Abram, I'm giving it all to you. Get a vision, but realize that your vision is too small. And it says this, verse 18, so Abram went to live. I don't like those three words. You know, what, you know what I like about this? They changed it. This is the NIV, and this is the NIV, but they changed those three words. I don't like that. It's supposed to say, so Abraham moved his tent near the great trees of Mamre in Hebron, where he pitched his tent. There he built an altar to the Lord. I think it's time that we need to begin moving our tents in the direction of God's vision for our life. It takes faith to do that. Because where there's a tent, there's a well. Where there's a tent and a well, there's an altar. This is home, right? We've established ourselves here. We know the terrain. We know what it's like. But God is saying, there's your vision and we got to pack up and go. We're going to move our tent in that direction. We're going to commit to this vision that God has given us. So what's your vision for 2020? What's your vision for 2020? This, we're going to do a little exercise right here. We're not going to write anything out, but we're going to stop for a minute. What's my time like? Oh, perfect. Good deal. Got 30 minutes left. Okay, I want you to close your eyes. Let's do this together. This is fun. I want you to begin to get a vision for what this new year means for you personally. Take a measuring line. Ask the Spirit of God, Lord, show me. What do you want to do in me what things do you want to free me of this year? What healing work do you want to do in my heart this year? What new calling do you have for me this year? What new assignments do you have for me this year? Come on, y'all, do this with me. What promises Am I going to see manifest this year? What gifts and skills, Lord, are you going to equip me with in 2020? What new relationships are you going to bring my way? What new provision are you going to release over me? Now think about your family. Get a vision for your family. Get a vision for your marriage. What do you want to do in my family this year? The 
Lord, how do you want me to, to grow deeper as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a son, as a daughter? Those things that, that are coming to mind, are those doable in your own strength? If they are, then your vision's too small. If all of the things that you're thinking about and dreaming about for this next year are possible with just some simple action steps that you can tick off, then I want to suggest that your vision is too small. Maybe God is saying, I'm going to expand the boundaries of what you think I can do. In John chapter 4, Jesus is with his disciples and he gives them a similar mission, a similar sort of challenge. He says, lift up your eyes and look to the fields. They're white unto harvest. There's something about that action of lifting up our eyes, about shifting our perspective from where we sort of tend to gravitate towards, shifting that away from the natural and beginning to see things in the spiritual. And putting our measuring line down and saying, God, really, show me the fields. Show me the harvest. Show me the limitless expanse of your promise for me. So I want to, I want to pray a couple things over us. Brian, come on up here. We're, we're going to wrap this up here. I want to just give a, a challenge and... Y'all stand up if you would. It's easy for... um, for our visions and our dreams for ourselves to get derailed. Very easy for that to happen. Life can get in the way. We think we're secure and we think that nothing is unshakable. And the next thing you know, the walls are collapsing and the ground is shaking beneath us. And we're wondering, where's God in all of this? What's his plan? What's his purposes? And we want to quickly restore and quickly rebuild. We want to keep our hand of control on things. And I just sense that the Lord is saying, look, allow me to rebuild what's been lost in your life. Allow me to restore the foundations of what the world has torn down. Allow me to give you a a vision for your life. So just for these next minutes, um, I want to I challenge us to kind of move into just a time of personal, just personal reflection on, on this idea. God, what do you want to do in my life in 2020? And ask God 
take it from something that you ask God to help you begin to just seem unchangeable, to restore things that seem too far gone, to heal things that seem impossible. So I want to pray over us, and then we're just going to have a few minutes of, of worship, prayer, reflection on that. Hmm. Father, we ask for a shift of, a change, Lord, a shift of perspective, a change of vision. We ask, Lord, that you open the eyes of our heart to begin to see, Lord. Your word says, lift up your eyes to the, to the fields. Lord, you said to Abraham, open your eyes and look and see as far as you can. Father, we need you to speak those words to our hearts. We need you to tell our spirits to see reality in a different way. Lord, some of us have some clutter over our eyes because of discouragement, because of fear, because of lost hope. God, would you wipe that away? Would you clear that away, Lord God? And begin to illuminate with clarity a vision of what you want to unfold in us individually. Lord, this is not about our church. Lord, you've, you've spoken that to us. This is about your people. This is about your, your husbands and wives, your sons and your daughters, your men and your women, boys and girls, Lord. We want a fresh vision, Lord, for our families. We want a fresh vision for our, our own hearts and our careers and our finances and our health and our relationships, our futures, our ambitions, God. We want Father, just by an act of faith, we lay down the measuring line. We're not going to insist that it look a certain way. Father, we pray that you would build the work. You would build a vision. You would accomplish in us. Surround us with fire, Lord. The wall of fire. 